Everybody loves McDonald's fries. So, yes, you accused your mom of stealing some of your fries on the way home. Um, but the bag did feel a little light. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Everyone deserves a chance in the driver's seat. For GM and Revolt, that means leading the way on the road to an all-electric future and envisioning a world with zero crashes, zero tailpipe emissions, and zero congestion. GM's committed to making EVs accessible for everybody. That means you too. So what are you waiting for? GM's got the keys. You grab the wheel. Learn more about an all-electric future and the 000 initiative at GM.com. GM, everybody in. What's good, family? Jalen here. I have some great news to share with you. We have recently launched BWR Academy, the number one online school and community focused on teaching personal finance and wealth building principles. By becoming a member, you will gain access to premium financial education covering the topics of credit and financing, debt repayment strategies, retirement planning. That's right, we're going over 401ks, IRAs, and everything in between. Life insurance, we'll be having weekly budgeting and accountability calls, and so much more. You will also gain access to a powerful network. For years, we have been preaching, your network is your net worth. So here's your chance to increase your social capital. We'll be having many of our previous podcast guests coming back to teach exclusive classes that can only be found through BWR Academy. We have also partnered with Capital, a premier financial app that will allow you to participate in our quarterly savings challenge. We have a goal of helping a thousand families save $1 million collectively. We'll make sure that you are not a part of the 74% that cannot afford a thousand dollar emergency. So if this sounds like the type of environment you would like to be a part of, make sure you sign up by clicking the link in the show notes. Make sure you sign up now because spots are extremely limited. See you in the academy. What's up, y'all? It's your boy David with Blackwell Renaissance, and I'm here today to tell you guys about Anchor. If you haven't heard of Anchor, it's the best place to make a podcast. Anchor is a free app that has creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast straight from your phone. Anchor also distributes your podcast across all major platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and many others. You can also make money on your podcast with Anchor with no minimum listenership. Anchor is everything you need to make a podcast in one place. So if you're looking to get started on your own podcast, download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm. Have you been thinking about starting a podcast, but you don't know exactly where to get started? Maybe you don't know exactly what equipment you should buy or who you should go through with the hosting platforms. Well, good news. I created a course just for you. It'll be showing you how to make the fewest mistakes possible on your podcasting journey. It's called the Podcasters Playbook, and it's a total masterclass taught by me, showing you all the techniques and tricks that we use behind the scenes of the Black Wealth Renaissance podcast. Swipe up now. Click the link in the show notes so you can purchase the podcast's playbook.
do you know the rules of the game? Yeah. Do you know the rules of the game? I don't care what color. Can you make me a hundred million? Let's talk money. Let's talk. Can you make me that? If you can't make me that, I won't talk to you. You shouldn't even get this tape. Hey. I got money on my mind. I'm just trying to get some dough. I ain't picking up my lot unless it's money on the phone. Gotta get it on the daily, all I want is dubs, you know what I'm on. I've been chasing after paper, all I know is broad money marathon. Do five years of this and be a millionaire and go on, do what I want to do, have kids, go live my chip and joy in the game, black out here in Texas, or struggle for next year. The choice is yours. What's up, guys? Welcome to the Black Wealth Renaissance Podcast. Our goal of this podcast is to normalize black wealth and share helpful resources and tips we believe will be useful in attaining and maintaining generational wealth. Please feel free to rate and comment on our podcast. We would love to hear all feedback you have. Now, enjoy the show. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of the Black Wealth Renaissance Podcast. Your boy, David Bella, I one fourth of the Black Wealth Renaissance, checking in with my co-hosts. Fellas, how y'all feeling? What up, what up, what up? It's your boy, Jalen, man. Another quarter of the Black Wealth Renaissance. Feeling good, feeling great, man. Got a little bit of this winter weather going oh, man, on crazy this Saturday, that. man. We in the 20s in Texas, bro, so <laughs> it's, it's, it's crazy. What's good, yeah, what's good, what's it's good? crazy, man. It's your boy, Jared. Another fourth of the Black Wealth Renaissance checking in. Man, yeah, I, this weather is ridiculous. They talking about 100% chance of snow in Louisiana on Monday. I, nah, I'm not with this. That's not why we live in the South at all. <laughs> at all. We're trying to avoid all that craziness. But, yeah, y'all, once again, uh, we got a great episode planned for y'all today. Before I introduce our guests, I'd like to ask everybody to like, subscribe, rate, comment on whatever platform you're on. Uh, it helps us grow the show. And, yeah, y'all just let us know. Let us know what y'all trying to hear. We always here to serve our community. Now, for today's guest, we got a great brother on out of Tampa, Florida. Um, he is a software engineer and technology developer and the CTO of HireMatch, a technology that is revolutionizing the hiring process with the blockchain. We have Mr. Armando Pantoya, a.k.a. Tall Guy Tycoon. Armando, how you living, my brother? I'm fine. How are you guys doing? Hey, man. Thank you for coming on the show, my brother. Appreciate it. I appreciate you guys having me, man. Thanks for the time. Most deaf, most deaf, man. I'm glad you could get on here to definitely kick game to the people. So, Armando, man, the way we always kick these things off, we always want to ask you, like, what was your start? Like, how did you find your way into, like, the software technology space? Uh, I mean, ever since I was a kid, I've always been interested in uh, software and technology. But like I say a lot of times on my, you know, my page or whatever, is that I came from poverty, so we couldn't afford a computer. Right. So I always read books about it, but I didn't have a computer until I was, what, 22. I bought it myself when I was in college. So there was this book, I think it was like Boy's Life. Right. Mm -hmm. I forget the name of the book. Maybe it was Highlights or something. I forget. But we used to get it when I was like in the seventh, eighth grade. It was like a little magazine. And in the magazine, they had like code sections. Like it taught you how to code. Like it would teach you how to code without actually having a computer. Mm. And that's how I first got into it, is that it was some book that had like code segments. It was basic. That's the software language that it was in. And it was like, first step, do this. Second step, do this. Third step, do this or whatever. And that was the first time I ever got exposed to anything like that. And then ever since then, I was like, you know, just addicted to technology, I guess. Even though I didn't have a computer. So I would stay late at school or before basketball practice or whatever, go to the library on breaks or whatever, you know, get that computer time in. And I just kept learning and going forward from there. Hmm. That's it. I've never even uh, heard like I just learned how to code without the computer. 
So yeah. like, was it just telling you, you know, like this is what this line means? Yeah. Like it was just teaching you the basic language. Yeah, it would teach you like the if statements and like the different loops and stuff. It would just, I mean, you can do that. You know, you can actually draw that out and do it yourself. It actually gives you a better understanding of code if you learn like that. Mm-hmm. So because you know it like down to the real level. So by the time you get to it on the computer, you already got it. You know. Can you kind of explain it a little bit more? Because I'm not gonna lie, I'm not the okay. most coding literate person, but I am interested in it because right. I know the importance of it. Yeah. So co- all coding is is just steps to do something, right? Mm-hmm. Like do this first, do this second, do this third, and if this happens, do this, or if that happens, do that. That's all it is. That's the if statements and loops, mm-hmm. right? So you can kind of figure out what the if statements, right? So let's say, for example, you had a butler, right? And you wanted him to go to the store. So people, we write instructions all the time. That's called an algorithm. An algorithm is a set of instructions to do something. We always hear about the uh, Instagram algorithm. Mm-hmm. That's all it is. Algorithms all around us. Every software application has an algorithm set running. An algorithm can be inside computer science and it can be outside. All an algorithm means is a step of instructions to do something, right? Mm-hmm. That's it. So let's say, for example, you have a butler, right? And you want him to go to the store. You write him a list. You say, I want you to first wake up in the morning. That's step one. Go to the store. Step two. Step three is to check if there are apples, right? And if there are apples, buy some. If there are not apples, go to another store and continue to do this until you find apples, right? So what you've just done is you've given him a set of instructions that he must continue to follow until those apples are found. And then the instructions are over. That's all a computer program is. Instead of telling the butler, you tell the the computer to do it. I want you to do this first. Do this second, do this third. And if this happens, do that. If that happens, do that. And continue to do this thing until one of those conditions are met. And then you can quit. Mm-hmm. Same thing. But you can write that on a piece of paper. Hey, man. And I, I've never had it broken down like that. But that sounds very, very simple. So I guess the complexity comes in whenever you get to learning these different languages. Is that yeah. where like it, it gets a little bit more? I mean, everything you write in computer science, the base of it is those if statements, if this happens, do that, and those loops. But it can get complicated, you know, because loops can build on the loops and then if statements get complicated, the way that the numbers and the data comes in, it gets complicated, but that's all it really is. Mm. So fast forward, you get your yeah, 22. You, you mentioned, yeah, you got your first computer at 22 in college. What was your major and stuff in school? My major was computer science. Who needs an alarm in the morning? When McDonald's has sausage, egg, and cheese McGriddles. And a breakfast cutoff. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. And when I was in high school, I forgot to leave out a step. I did get a TI-85 calculator, those Texas Instruments. Mm-hmm. And those had a programming feature on there. And I got some more programming in doing that. You know, just uh, programming on that TI-85 calculator. Really? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was like a C-based language. Yeah, I got a lot in, in high school doing that. So... Some of those calculators are pretty advanced. You know? Yeah, like the graphing calculators, right? Yeah, yeah, the graphing calculators, yeah. Man, I, I didn't, like, I'd be in math class, I wouldn't be paying attention, getting Fs in math or Ds, because I did graduate, but I'd be programming, <laughs> you know? I failed a test, but I'd be programming while, you know, the math teachers in front, you know? But that's how I got into it, really. The craziest thing I've ever done on that calculator, I found out you could play the game Snake. So yeah, I yeah. found out you could play the game Snake. I never paid attention to math class. <laughs> yeah, a lot of people figure that stuff out, but somebody programs those games in there, so. That's crazy. So whenever you got to school and, you know, you really figured out, I really love this computer programming and stuff, 
what time frame did you go to school? What year did you get to I college? went in 2000. Uh, I graduated in 2005. Okay, so we're younger. I graduated in 2017. Mm-hmm. So okay. that's like right after the dot-com bubble, Yeah. Um, but still pre-social media really, really taking off. Yeah, what, social media started like taking off at the end, like 2005. So I remember it was my last year. So what was the landscape like whenever you were learning about computer programming in that year? What were they projecting it to kind of do some of the things that they were foreseeing in the future? Is it coming to fruition right now or did it kind of deviate? I mean, the AI stuff, they kind of predicted that. But the cryptocurrency, it was uh, like came out of left field. Nobody really predicted that. Right. Mm -hmm. And the funny thing about the cryptocurrency is it came out while I was in college studying cryptology. You know, I was in grad school, you know, <laughs> and I was in grad school in 2010, 11. And that's when Bitcoin came out in 2009. And I was studying exactly what Bitcoin was. You know, Bitcoin is based on cryptology, but nobody saw Bitcoin come out. Nobody knew about, you know, new blockchain was coming. That just came out of nowhere. But AI and all the stuff we're doing now, even the social media and the Internet of Things, that was all predicted, even when I was in college. So, hmm. so I kind of want to jump into both of them. So first, I'll go with like the AI and all of those type of things. So whenever you were graduating, did you go to work for like a tech firm or something like that? Yeah, I actually worked for a company called EdgeNet in Nashville, and it was an artificial intelligence company. I'm sorry, expert system company, I should say. It's kind of the same thing. And I worked for them for about a year or two, about a year and a half before I ended up getting laid off because it was an expert system company, but it was linked to the home. We did uh, software to configure windows and doors in new houses. Mm -hmm. That was in 2007. Now, right after that, you know, 2008, the housing yeah. crisis, whatever, and that, you know, that was it. So that was the first company I worked at. So can you explain the AI part? Because a lot of people, they'll hear artificial intelligence, and we'll get a lot of negative connotations to it. We saw yeah, the movie. We saw, yeah, we saw the movie, iRobot, and yeah. all of the, the Terminator, all of these other crazy things. But there is some valid use cases for artificial intelligence. I mean, the thing about it is artificial intelligence is already all around us. You just don't mm-hmm. realize it. It's, it's all around us. And, you know, and we can go back into the 60s, right? In the 60s, the computer scientists said, you know, it was always arguments over. When would you admit that a computer has true intelligence, right? Mm-hmm. And one of the benchmarks back then was that if a computer can beat a man in chess, chess, I would say it's intelligent, right? That happened 20 some years ago. So what happens with artificial intelligence is that, like we go back 10 years ago, when we say what we thought was intelligence, when the computers meet that benchmark, we we move the goalposts farther and farther down because it's hard for humans to accept that a computer actually has intelligence. So when artificial intelligence really comes, the scary part is not going to be like the movie iRobot. It's not going to be like the Terminator. It's just going to be in the back end and we won't even realize it. That's the scary part. And it could already be here. You know, a lot of the things, our decisions we make in life are already governed by artificial intelligence. We don't realize it. You know, mm-hmm. credit decisions, you know, bank, uh, when you scan a car, let's say, for example, you're in a foreign company and it gets rejected, that's an AI that runs that algorithm to say, well, this type of person wouldn't travel. So this is probably a fraudulent transaction. Mm-hmm. All of that stuff is AI, right? When you're in a car, right? And uh, now they have it where, so before you hit somebody like a pedestrian or something, the car stops, that's mm-hmm. all AI. It's all around us. You just don't realize it, right? And that's the scary part. Yeah, man. Like you said, that back end stuff, I guess that's the part that really scares people because we hear the, I think it was like last year, Facebook or Google had to shut down a project because it, like it, it had developed its own language or whatnot and the computers were talking. People hear stuff like that. And I guess we instantly jump to the sci-fi stuff yeah. versus thinking of the it's actual not gonna be like that. Use. 
if they take over, let's say, you know, Bill Gates has concerns too that our AI may just take over one day. I can see that point. But if it does happen, it's going to happen. In the, it won't be like a robot walking up, you know, and, and telling you to get on the ground. It's not going to be, it's going to be subtle. Hmm. And that's the scary part is that it's going to just be subtle, right? And we're going to accept it because I can give a good example how we accept technology intruding in our lives. If you go back to the 90s and you said, hey, I'm going to put a device in your house that listens to everything you say. In return for that, I'll give you a service that where you can ask questions. People would have said, no way, man. I'm not doing that. You're crazy. Now everybody has a Google or Alexa in their house listening to everything they say. It's always on. So everything you say gets pushed through that artificial intelligence, everything, right? So when artificial intelligence gets there, what's going to happen is that people will allow, give up power to it because for the convenience, like we do with everything else in technology. We give up power to technology for convenience. That's why we let the Google phones track our every movement. The apples track everything you do. We let these, uh, like Gmail, it reads all your emails, everything that comes to all your texts gets read. You know, we got devices in our house, listen to everything you say. And these are creating models of what you are and what they're trying to predict your future behavior. And we let it happen, right? Because of the convenience. Mm. And I think that, like you said, it'll be subtle. Even I'm thinking about like these cars that they're trying to push out now, like a Tesla. A lot of Tesla is artificial intelligence with like, the self-driving it is. model whenever they go, because I know all of that goes through the data processes and exactly. they'll, they'll match it to like other driver's patterns. So like you would say, it would be subtle, but I could see like if they were to take over, like what if you just ride in your car, your shit just take yeah. a, a left instead of a right. Like, hey, we're going to put all the humans over here right now. Yeah, they could. I think it's a good chance eventually that's going to happen unless we protect against it. I mean, it just, it's going to happen eventually. Like I said, Bill Gates said it. Stephen Hawking said it before he died. I mean, some of the smartest people in the world say that this is a possibility or a big chance this could happen. So how do you think we protect ourselves from that? I don't think we can because people are always pushing for innovation and new things, right? So, I mean, that's one of the perils of like capitalism is that we'll destroy ourselves because of the money behind it, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> is that people will never stop pushing technology till it's too late. You know, that's what's probably, you know, it's probably no way to stop it, really, because of the monetary benefit of continuing to push forward. That's the craziest thing you said that it made me think back to like your story. Once again, you said like in 07, 08, whenever all that stuff went left, I kind of want to get back into that, like because capitalism, that was the whole part of it. Like the banks were doing all this crazy stuff and it led the economy to go belly up. So like what was your move? after like everything kind of went crazy? Like, was this space still lucrative for people or was it like, what was that like? Uh, back then, okay, so this is what I did and I always encourage other people to do it. So I took advantage because 2007, 2008, Obama got in and he extended the unemployment, right? So I actually took advantage of that. Un- I was on unemployment at that time for 18 months, the max allowable. And I used that time to build more skills and I learned more and I started a co- my first company during that time. I use that unemployment to do that. So a lot of times you get like, you know, some bad apps you, you use that, you know, you can use that. And that's actually where I'm at today is because of I got laid off. You know, so I use that time to learn other languages that I didn't know. I use that time to understand more about the software business. I put out a couple of applications that I sold and did pretty well on during that time. So, I mean, that's how I got out of it. And that's what I use that time to my benefit. Like I said, and everything I've done since then was springboarded from that. Hmm. So what did it look like you creating your first company during that time? So it was a small, it was just me, a one-man shop. I created this application called Key Prowler. And what this was, was remember at this time, social media was just coming out. Mm-hmm. It was just getting big, right? So 2005, 2006, 2007. So a lot of parents, like they are with any new technology, they're panicking. 
So I thought, you know, kids are getting like approached by pedophiles and all this stuff. So I had this application where you would put it on your computer. Because remember, it wasn't all the phone social media back then. It was mostly mm-hmm. on the computer. Yeah. So you can install it and it would monitor your kids for certain keywords, you know, like sex or weed, marijuana, weed, whatever. And whatever you wanted to mind, when your kid uh, got into the wrong neighborhood, you know, quote unquote neighborhood, like bad pages, or they start saying things that were leading them down a bad path, you'd get an alert on your email or a screenshot of whatever they were saying. So it was meant to monitor kids that were under 13. And it was like one of the, it was other competitors out there at the mm-hmm. time, but mine was simple to use. A lot of those were too difficult. So I did pretty good with that. I ended up selling the company uh, about two or three years later. Oh. So how did it look like getting that out there in a, a pre, I guess, social media type of era? Like how did that look as far as the advertising? Yeah, it, it was, yeah it was, getting it really out there and getting the parents on it. I'm glad you said that, man, because a lot of people don't understand how powerful social media is now when it mm-hmm. comes to advertising your product, when it comes to advertising your service. Man, back then it was hard. Like you would have to pay Google ads and that's expensive. You know, or it was hard to get your things out there, man. You just had to compete with the big boys. You didn't have like your, your small communities that you have in social media now, which I tell people a lot of time, this is a great time right now. And I know you guys talk about that a lot, is that you got to use social media. It's almost dirt cheap advertising compared to what I'm used to. You know, like I would sell that application for $40. I had to pay $25 to get, you know, with the clicks and clicks mm-hmm. to get somebody to buy it, you know? So I said, I'm going profit only $10 or $11 on each application. But now, I mean, you can get it for almost pennies on the dollar, almost nothing. You know, if you know how to, like you guys talk about all the time, if you know how to market yourself, you know how to position yourself on social media, you know, you can get it for a hundred times cheaper than what it was back then to get your product out. Mm. So... Were there some benefits to starting a company back then that's probably not here today and vice versa? I would say that the benefit back then was there was not many competitors. Mm-hmm. Now there's a lot more competitors because of social media, but it also gives you a platform that's very cheap in advertising. I mean, you can almost pay no advertising dollars and still do well. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah, if you do it right. If you do just look right. up and go viral or something like that. Yeah. Like you said, niche-based marketing, that's really yeah. the, the hugest thing. Like you can get in front of specific niches of that. Yeah. Like people already build audiences that would be interested in your stuff that you pay a, a much cheaper fee than you would for Google. Like versus $25 per sale, you might pay $200 and make three, four, five, six sales. I don't, yeah. I don't know exactly what the price was. Exact. You said 40 Maybe even 10 sales. It just depends. Yeah, yeah. It's a lot cheaper. Like back then, you had to be good at Google Ads and SEO. And, you know, SEO was big. But it still is big, but it was a lot mm-hmm. bigger back then. And you just had to optimize your page correctly so it would show up in the search engines. And you had to just master Google AdWords and all mm-hmm. the other. That's the only way really back then. If you're small, you couldn't really get the attention anywhere else. Okay. So we're still in 2007, like around that time. When did you start to get your interest in finance and like financial literacy also? Like, was that around that time or was it a little bit after? When did you start dabbling into that section? All right. When I got out of college, I started trading stocks. Like right around that time I had that first job, I had some extra money. You know, it's the first time I ever made any decent money. So I had a little extra to spare. So I started getting in stocks, man. The first stock I did was in 2007 or end of 2007, early 2008, when the market was crashing. I bought a stock when it fell all the way down to the bottom. Fannie Mae was my first stock ever. Fannie Mae. Yeah. So I think it was in 2008. I think it was in 2008. Uh, So during that summer, uh, now actually I bought another stock before that, but it was like small, like $30 worth. But Fannie Mae was my first big actual stock purchase that I really was into it, right? So the first was like $100 or something. 
But this one, I put 5,000 into it because Fannie Mae fell down the summer yeah. of that 2008 crashes. It went from like 30 to $3. And then it went under to like a 80 cents. And when it went under, I put 5,000 into it and it came up to $3. Hmm. That was the first one I ever did. And I made like, I turned five into 20,000. I ended up losing it all right after that. You know, you get overconfident. <laughs> you know, oh, man, I could do this all the time, man. And then you used to put it back in. I ended up losing most of it, you know, in different trades. But hmm. um, it was a good learning experience. And it taught me the power of finance. After that, I started learning about how did I go wrong? What should I have done different? And I kept coming, even though I lost most of it, I probably ended up losing all of it over the next two years. But I kept pushing myself to learn mm-hmm. more. And I, I was willing to risk more and more money. And about three or four years into it, I got real good at it. And around that time, this was about 2010, 2011. So I started, you know, teaching myself, learning more about it along with the computer science or whatever. So in the mid 2015 or so, I wrote an application called iStockPicker. And that one actually won an honorable mention at Benzinga. And that's a pretty big financial firm up in New York. So that's when I really learned about stocks and how it all works, because I had to write the algorithms to pick stocks, right? To pick the best stocks. So I learned a lot about it. I learned more, like I knew how to trade stocks up until that point, but I learned about all the technical analysis and all the stuff that comes behind it doing that application. And then crypto, you know, crypto is a lot of the same type of things. I got into that a few years earlier. So all of this stuff just started coming together. Mm. So Armando, can we get into technical analysis a little bit? Because we speak around stocks a lot and we speak a lot more on uh, fundamentals. Can you get into like some of the, I guess, the key tenets of what like technical analysis is? Yeah, I mean, I think you're referring to chart reading or you're referring yeah. to just the metrics on the stop. Yeah, chart reading. I mean, my people, I teach them about chart reading, but a lot of things you can do without reading charts at all. So in my, you know, chart reading is good. And you can like RSI is a good one, a relative strain index. It'll teach you, it'll let you know if a stock's oversold or overbought. Just constantly watching the chart really is for more like day traders that are high frequency traders. You know, I don't really teach that that much, but I do have a chart reading class that I teach once a month. But mostly we teach, you know, just long-term investing and option trade momentum strategies. But this chart reading is important. Fundamentals are important. Hmm. So around that time, you also talked about the crypto and like how you are getting into the cryptology and stuff like that. What made you go into that field? Like, because it kind of seemed like you was a little bit ahead of the wave. Right before yeah, uh came in, came out with Bitcoin. So, like, what made you link the cryptography to the technology? So, like I said, I was in grad school in 2010, 11, and 12. So, I was in grad school at the time I was studying software security. Now, that's why it's called cryptocurrency because it's based in cryptology. Mm-hmm. So, it's encrypted currency. That's basically what it is. So, I was studying encryption and cryptology at the time. So, I was fascinated by it. I was like, oh man, what is this? But back then, you got to remember, it was trading at. You know, about the first time I ever looked at Bitcoin, I think it was like $50, $60, maybe 80 somewhere in there. And I was like, what is this, man? Like, you know, I look at it, but you got to remember back then, it wasn't the same mindset that we have now. People just were buying and spending it. It was just a currency, right? So you bought it and you spent it on stuff. And that's what I did that. I probably went through a thousand Bitcoins back then, like everybody else. And then, like I said, the technology was fascinating to me and I liked it. So I would search for businesses that took Bitcoin back then. It was a few of them in Tampa. And I would, you know, just go support them or whatever. We have meetups or whatever, talk about this stuff. And so what happened around in 2013, there was this big hack called MT Gox, where an exchange got hacked for like $50 million. It was real early. Bitcoin was only out three and a half years. And everybody thought Bitcoin was done, right? So it was still in the back of my mind, but everybody kind of like got off of it for a couple of years, Mm -hmm. right? Then 2015 came and then Ethereum, and I started watching it again. You know, I was like, man, I think this is going to stay around, you know? 
So 2014-15 came and Ethereum came out, which is the second biggest crypto right now. And that really fascinated me because I thought Bitcoin was just by itself. Because back then it was like Bitcoin, Doggy Coin, I think was out then. It was a few, it was like five coins total. Ethereum came out, which was fundamentally different than every coin that was out there. So when I saw that, I realized that all of this has potential. And then I started around 15, 16, I started seeing it as an investment. You know, then I started investing in it and building myself up and learning more about it during that time. So like with the Ethereum, why did you say it was fundamentally different than the other coins? Because at the time you had like five coins, uh, Bitcoin, you had Litecoin, Doggy. I I think Doggy coin was out because, you know, that was a joke. But but I, I guess it's okay now. You had Bitcoin out, but everything that was out there now was basically and fundamentally just copies of Bitcoin that was sped up or whatever. Or, you know, different like Litecoin's quicker and more efficient. Dollycoin, you know, it was just different versions of Bitcoin, all based on blockchain technology, all the same thing, you know. Ethereum actually allowed people to develop apps on top of it and create their own coins on top of Ethereum. Hmm. So back then it was very difficult to create a coin. When Ethereum came out, it allowed you to create a coin called an ERC20 token using their whole network. So you can make a coin right now in like 10 minutes if you wanted to and get a coin out there, right? And plus they allow what's called smart contracts. And that gives you the ability, let's say, for example, me and you are going to do a deal right now. Let's say you want to set up a trust for your kids. And you say, look, when they turn 30, I want to give them both $100,000. Right now you have to go to a lawyer. You have mm-hmm. to pay the lawyer. The lawyer had to set up all these documents, whatever. But in Ethereum, it allows you to do what's called smart contracts in which you can write a contract on the network that says, look, on this date or whatever the criteria may be, I want this money released to these people based on this, 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 and that. So it's a contract that requires no lawyers, no third party. And when I saw those two features that you could write your applications on top of it and the smart contract, I realized, man, oh, this is going to be huge. And that's why it really like piqued my interest at that time. Mm. So I kind of want to go back with it because, I mean, you, you said that like for people that may not be understanding with just, I guess, how these smart contracts technically work. Like, how are they able to remove the lawyers and all these things from this process? Okay, Um, so you got what's called the blockchain is the network in which most cryptocurrencies work on. It's just the blockchain really is just a network of computers or people, mm -hmm. you know, people that basically allow their computers to connect to the network. And they each one of those computers stores the entire transaction history of that particular crypto. So what that does, it gives redundancy, right? So if one of those computers fell Somebody else has it or somebody else had, you know, everybody all across the world has the entire copy, uh, an entire database mm-hmm. of each transaction. So smart contracts work in the same way. So that's how Bitcoin works, right? So Ethereum says, hey, why don't we create some code, right? Just like we talked about earlier, that code, mm-hmm. you know, if statements or whatever. And we're going to say, we're going to put that same code on the blockchain that executes on a certain date or executes on a certain criteria. And that code is going to lock the coins up or whatever until this criteria hits it, gets stored on the blockchain. So the blockchain is, it cannot be tampered with. It's perfect. There's nobody that can hack it. So it's actually a safer way to store a contract than using a lawyer. Everybody loves McDonald's fries. So yes, you accused your mom of stealing some of your fries on the way home. Um, but the bag did feel a little light. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hmm. Do you think they might, we could see the stock market on the blockchain one day? There was a company, I don't know if it's doing, it's called Polymath that was going to do that, but I don't know what happened with that. But there was a couple of startups that said they were going to do that, but I don't think really? anyone, yeah, the SEC won't allow, like they jump in and block that though. <laughs> yeah, they, of course. Not trying to get cut out of the, no, no, be no. in the middle, man. They want to control them switches. Yeah, I think that's what it is. So, 
What's up, family? Your boy Dave with BWR here. We want to let y'all know about what we have going on April 21st. We're doing the Renaissance Mixer again. Yes, sir. We're bringing it back. Uh, last year, we tried to do this. The COVID shut us down, but we're bringing the party back. Having the Renaissance Mixer here in Dallas, we're partnering up with CK Creative Studio, a luxury Black-owned co-working space out here in the Design District to bring together entrepreneurs and professionals from all across the DFW get us together in one room so we can start making these business connections and much more we're gonna have live music drinks food and much much more uh it's gonna be a great time tickets are only five dollars for the time being five dollars so y'all make sure to hurry up sign up uh we'll see y'all there wednesday april 21st at 7 p.m ck creative studios the renaissance mixer it's up baby peace Yo, what's good, everybody? It's your boy Kelly here. And I want to say thank you for listening to the Black Wealth Renaissance Podcast, because without you all, we would not be here. And I have a very exclusive announcement to make. We are releasing a brand new show. That's right. We're coming out with a brand new podcast called What's On Your Timeline. We're taking that little segment out of our podcast. We're making it a brand new show exclusively on Patreon. So click the link below. Join our Patreon for as little as $5 a month. You'll get an episode every week of a raw, unfiltered, unedited versions of us. You get to hear from me, Jalen, David, and even Jerry. You get to hear what we think about on our timeline. You get to hear what we're into, what are we listening to, what are we learning, and we'll get to even teach some things possibly. And I promise you, you won't regret it. We're going to talk about stocks. We're going to talk about crypto. We're going to talk about real estate. We're going to talk about the Federal Reserve. Hell, even in this last episode, we talked about Kwame Brown. You know, you're going to get the raw, unedited versions of us, and it is exclusively on Patreon, so click the link below. Check it out. Tell us what you think. If you want to join, like I said, again, click the link below. It's only $5. Literally a dollar, almost a dollar a week, you can get a brand new episode of What's On Your Timeline. So, and we appreciate y'all for rocking with us. Peace out. What's good, family? Jalen here. I have some great news to share with you. We have recently launched BWR Academy, the number one online school and community focused on teaching personal finance and wealth building principles. By becoming a member, you will gain access to premium financial education covering the topics of credit and financing, debt repayment strategies, retirement planning. That's right, we're going over 401ks, IRAs, and everything in between. Life insurance, we'll be having weekly budgeting and accountability calls, and so much more. You will also gain access to a powerful network. For years, we have been preaching, your network is your net worth. So here's your chance to increase your social capital. We will be having many of our previous podcast guests coming back to teach exclusive classes that can only be found through BWR Academy. We have also partnered with Capital, a premier financial app that will allow you to participate in our quarterly savings challenge. We have a goal of helping a thousand families save $1 million collectively. We'll make sure that you are not a part of the 74% that cannot afford a thousand dollar emergency. So if this sounds like the type of environment you would like to be a part of, make sure you sign up by clicking the link in the show notes. Make sure you sign up now because spots are extremely limited. See you in the Academy.
What you got? Dave? It was the hack earlier that you had mentioned. I wanted to go into that too. You mentioned the name of it, the uh, MT Gox. MT Gox, yeah. So like you said, it was a hack, but the blockchain, the blockchain can't be hacked. What type of hack was that? Yeah, so the blockchain can't be hacked, but your wallet can be hacked. Mm-hmm. You see what I'm saying? Because the passwords or the private keys on a wallet are stored in a database. So if you get into that database, you got everybody's password to get into their wallet. You know, so that's what happened, right? But what it did is it knocked confidence down of Bitcoin. So people were like, the way it was, I guess, marketed, but there's no marketing team, but the way people saw it is that the blockchain couldn't be hacked. But then when that happened, people didn't understand the difference. They just know that they got hacked. So it caused Bitcoin to go from 1,000 all the way down to like 150. And it stayed there for a few years. Everybody lost their confidence. That's crazy. Yeah, people lost their confidence on something like that. So it was over. And it stayed like that for years until around 15, 16. Now about 16, 17, really. See, my first time really like, I heard about it whenever I was in school, but I never got really, really, really got big was the movie Dope. That's whenever I paid attention. Yeah, I saw that. Yeah. Yeah, I was like, oh, damn, they pushing through Bitcoins. But I still did I saw that movie the other day and the price was only $300 when he was talking about it. That's crazy. <laughs> that movie, yeah. <laughs> That's crazy to that see where it's at. You never watched Dope before? I never before? watched that movie. It's a good movie, yeah. Yeah, you got to check it out, my brother. Yeah, Bitcoin just had touched with like 47, 47 48, 47, 48 uh, this week. Yeah, yeah. So I kind of want to move forward to like your company now that you're working on with the Iron blockchain Man. technology. So, you know, you took what you was learning from your cryptography and your technology skills, and you created this company called Higher Match. Can you yes. tell us a little bit about Higher Match? Yeah, so Higher Match is going to address the difficulty right now in the human resources market, the recruiting market. So right now, uh, I don't know, a lot of people may or may not know this, but and I know this from my own experience, right? It's getting, you know, recruiters coming after me for software engineering jobs. And when they place somebody, let's say you make $100,000, the recruiter gets 20000 of that just for mm-hmm. placing you. Yeah. For six-figure careers, if you if the recruiter can place a six-figure career, they get like 20, 30,000 for that after the person completes their like six months or whatever. So I realized that that's a lot of money, man. Like whenever there's a high margin like that, there's always an inefficiency in the marketplace because why would, you know, you can do this a lot more efficiently, you know? And a lot of companies, you would think that companies would go to, let's say, like just put a job on Monster or, or Indeed, yeah. but they don't do that because it, they get better quality candidates when they use recruiters because recruiters actually do the filtering, they test you and do us. By the time you get to the company, all they got to do is a quick interview and they know you're good. Hmm. So the company's like, you know, we don't want to waste all this time, or whatever. We'll just pay somebody to 20000 and hire somebody. Especially a lot of older companies with money, they don't care. They just get recruiters. And I realized, you know, why can't we use the blockchain to do this work for us? Instead of having paying recruiters 20000 why don't we just crowdsource it, basically? Hmm. You know, say, look, you know, Put this money out into the network and say, whoever, I don't care if you're a recruiter or not, whoever brings me the best candidate is going to get this money, right? Mm-hmm. So you put the money out in cryptocurrency. You say, look, man, there's a bounty out there. So whoever brings me the candidate gets half the money. Whoever brings me people that are even interviewed gets a certain amount of money. People that everybody that contributes gets a certain amount of money. So everybody that helped or aided in bringing that candidate to the job, you get a part of that fee that they put out. So instead of putting 20000 to a recruiter, you may only have to put 5000 into the system. And that inspires or you know, incentivizes all these people to work for you to find the best candidate. Like you may have a friend or maybe a real recruiter is on there and they found some candidates to throw them in and it goes to a system and whoever actually gets hired, the person who sent that hire in gets a larger fee and then it goes down from there. So are you going to be doing this off of the smart contracts or and is it going to be like meshed with the blockchain? 
Yeah, it's both of those. So when somebody puts the money out there, it gets locked into a smart contract. Mm-hmm. So that ensures that the parties are going to get paid. So they can go out there and look online, you know, because the blockchain is transparent. So anybody can look online and see what's out there. So you can look online and say, hey, I know that money's out there so I can start doing my work. So when you do send that candidate in there, the, the smart contract triggers and then it releases that money to you once that person gets hired. Hmm. That's so, dope. Well, we all got questions. <laughs> I'm going to let Jared go. No, 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 no. I was just saying that was dope. I didn't even have a question. That's just a really cool concept, but y'all can go. Okay, so... With the people with the smart contracts that are going to be sending people in. So do both parties have to sign the smart contract? Like, does the recruiter and the person they recruited have to sign for this to like, like, how does that show through? You don't have to sign it because the person who creates the contract puts the money in there and locks it up. Mm -hmm. And it puts the parties who receive the money. So that right there, that's the guarantee right there. So I can look at it and I can see that my, let's say my address is on there and I can see the payout date or whatever, anything that's in there. And I know that I'm going to get that money based on these criteria and I can start working. So you don't have, you don't have to actually sign anything. Mm-hmm. The party who initiates the contract does all that work. Okay. And my question was, so like you kind of just answered it though, because you said the criteria was there. So like with the smart contracts, the recruiter would have to meet, well, find a crudee that would fit these criteria. Like this person must at least have this amount of experience or yeah. have these type of skills or whatever. And once you submit that and say, you know, this is the person that I think fits y'all the best, then the smart contract is complete, correct? Yeah, yeah. So as soon as that person gets hired and I accept him, the contract gets, it also has a time limit too. So it makes people, you know, make sure they mm-hmm. do it, right? In a year, the money goes out anyway. So you have a year to find, you know, so when I accept a candidate, I can short circuit that and just send, close the contract out and you'll get your money. Okay. Okay. I'm with you now. That's dope. That's dope. So with Hire Match, y'all built it um, similar to, like you said, off of Ethereum, or did you have to go out and build your own coin for that? No, it's built on Ethereum. It's an ERC-20 token. So it's built on the Ethereum network. And it's dope. The way that you just took advantage of the system, like what they created it for, and you ended up doing it. And you said that, I think y'all got your own coin with it, correct? Yeah, it's called Hire, H-R-I-R-E. Okay, so they would transfer and put it into, so they'll take the 5000 and they'll put it into the higher tokens. Is it a token? Yes, it's a higher token. token. Damn, that's dope. And then from there, the higher tokens, I guess with cryptocurrencies outside of Bitcoin, it work the same way with like exchanging them for USD? Yeah, yeah, it works the same way. So you can exchange it on an exchange. Damn. Hey, man, that's some next level shit right there, man. How long did it take you to develop that? Like, did you- uh, We're still developing it, man. Like IBM is like one of our, it just partnered with us, what, three or four months ago? We're still developing. It takes a lot of work. <laughs> I could believe like it. Like two, two years, yeah. Yeah, it's never been done before. Like I said, it's hard. It's pretty hard, but we're going to get it done here hopefully this year. So you say y'all been working on it for two years now? Yeah, the thing about it, we could have finished it faster, but there was a crypto winner. And all of our funds that we developed was in crypto. So our funds went all the way down, almost nothing for a year and a half. So we had to be careful how we spent it, you know? Mm-hmm. So we couldn't really, you know, go as fast as we could in 2019, most of 20. So now we're at the point where we, you know, crypto's come back. So we do have the funds to push it hard. That's smart. So, and since we're on a, you know, just the whole crypto conversation right now, I want to bring up something that recently happened in crypto the Tesla doing the 1.5 bill. And I also saw that Miami, they're trying to pay their people 
in crypto. Like they're trying to get the, yeah, county, the city. Yeah, like yeah. they're trying yeah. to get the city to start really adapting crypto. So yeah. now we're really starting to see like it being accepted. Yeah, by the institutions. And that's one of the signs that it's going to stay around, right? Is it no? Tesla not gonna put 1.8 billion into nothing that you're just trying to make a quick dollar. This is long term. Mm-hmm. So this is what happens. And it should be a wake-up call to everybody's the institutions are getting involved. And now it was a report that said Apple may buy some, and then another company, uh JP Morgan may get some. So this is gonna stick around, man. And uh and just those type of things just let you know that th- this is serious. Yeah, man. I know when I seen the JP Morgan one, I think that was I think JP Morgan, Bank of America, a couple other companies. That's whenever I first started looking at crypto more seriously because my first introduction to it was initial pump to 20,000 when everybody yeah, was talking about it. And then it's like, oh, man, this just fell to nothing. Like, oh, this can't be something that's for me. But then I started seeing all these big players messing around in here. I'm like, whoa, wait a minute. Something they, going uh, these people are not they, just putting this money here for no reason. No, nah, they pushed it down on purpose. And I've been telling people on my Instagram for about a year, it was purpose. And I said that back in March, it was all on purpose. If you look back on it, you can see the pattern. That was intentional because what happened is that they realized in 17, the crypto was going to be big, the elite, the institutions and the banks. And if you look back at some of the CEOs that said it was a fraud back then, now the same ones that have bought it during that year. Mm-hmm. And it was a month period of time in January in which almost a lot of major CEOs came out against. It was a fraud. It's, it's nothing. It's a, it was a consorted effort to push it down on purpose from 20,000 all the way down to six, sometimes even down to three in the earlier last year. So if you notice during that time, all these big companies were buying it up slowly. That, you know, while everybody was away from it, like you said, people gave up on it. That's when they were getting into it, right? So that's called the accumulation phase in markets is that they'll push you away from stuff on purpose so that they can get into it. Like I said, Tesla, if they put $1.8 billion into Bitcoin, they didn't do it in one day. It was months. Because you can't put that much into a market without moving the price. And you'll spike the price up and get it too high and then it'll go back down. So what you do is you do it over time. You need months for that. So they buy it slowly over months not to affect the price. So they have to keep the price down during that time. It may take two years before everybody gets into it. And then once they feel like you know everybody's into it, that's when we hear about it. That's the markup phase in market. Yeah, that's when they start actually promoting it to you and telling you about it. You know, If you notice on the Cash App, at the bottom, the icon even changed to a Bitcoin within the last month or two. It did. Cash App bought all this Bitcoin over the last year, and now they're actively marketing it. They want you to do it now because they want to promote their own assets. Mm. That's crazy. And I'm thinking about like Elon Musk did it over the past few months because like he's been talking about he it. Put it in his bio. Put it in his Twitter. bio. Like he's been talking about. I would say he probably bought it before he put it in his bio because it wouldn't make sense for him to promote it. He bought it before that, mm-hmm. and then when he already had the purchase complete, he put it in his bio. And then that's whenever he came out with the big announcement. Hey, guys, yeah. just put 145 bill. No, nah, he did that over months. He could probably had that shit in there for about two years. Man. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He may have completed the whole buy. He didn't put one. 1.8 would have moved the market. You would have seen a visible spike on the chart. That much money in one. It had to be over months. Yeah. Whenever that investment was announced, how much did it jump? Like it was. A, it jumped a lot, though. I, ain't gonna, I know like, it broke the all-time high. The all-time high was, what, 42 yeah, it's like hit 40. that. Well, like a few months ago. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Now that was that was fast, and that that was like a few weeks ago. Time's going by fast. <laughs> you know, a few a couple of months ago in December, it was like seventeen thousand. Mm-hmm. In the end of December, so it's only been about a month and a half. Yeah. <laughs> Damn, man, shit is moving fast. I'm looking at the chart right now. Like he's in December, 
pushing to 30. It's 27, like, around Christmas. Oh, okay. So early December must be, like, 17. Yeah. Because it just, like, ramped back up. But like you said, that's that accumulation phase. They're trying to push everybody back to it, not that yeah. they bought a bunch of it up. Now, yeah, now that they got it, they can tell you about it. That's what they tell you and, and get everybody onto it. Now, there's even commercials on Bitcoin now. Yeah. Yeah, I definitely been seeing wow. a hella coin based commercials on uh YouTube yeah. and stuff. They say Morgan Stanley is thinking about putting one hundred. That's who it was, Morgan Stanley. Yeah, they say they thinking about putting one hundred and fifty billion in it, man. The institutions, man, they ain't gonna let themselves get outplayed. That's one thing about them people. Them. Yeah, that's why I like encourage people. I'm like, man, like a lot of people just see Bitcoin as an investment at the high level, right? But if you really understand all everything under it, the technology, the purpose, the use case, all this stuff that's under that, you'll really have a strong conviction. If you understand what it can be and what it maybe is going to be in the future, you understand how it works, then you understand like you won't be so hesitant to put money into it because it's not just some kind of thing we just invest in or some kind of scheme. It's, it's a lot deeper than that. Mm. It's a world-changing technology, just like just like the internet, if not greater. <laughs> I even remember like last year, whenever there was talks of the stimulus at first, they were talking about a Fed coin. Mm -hmm. They were going to push the stimulus to like a Fed coin. They're going to do that, man, eventually. Do you think that'll kind of fuck up the market? Like, do you think they'll still have control of like, oh, this how many Fed coins we're pushing out? Or like, do you think that it'll really still stay decentralized? No, I mean, if they make a Fed coin, they're going to have all kind of backdoors in it. They want a Fed coin that you get taxed, but like they could tax it as you transfer. That's what they want. You know, so with a Fed coin, you can't get away with taxes. That's it. You're going to be taxed. Everybody will be taxed at the right rate from that point on. (laughs) (laughs) So you'll be taxed before you get the money. Like if I send you some money and it falls in a certain category, it's going to tax me before you even get it. So that's why they want that Fed coin for because they can tax people. Really easy and track spending, which they almost can do now. I ain't fucking with that. Yeah, and it's cheaper for them, right? Because Bitcoin has a set supply, so they can't create anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, uh, they can't create more, but there's a set number that they can't create anymore. But I bet you the Fed coin, I bet you they won't do that because they nah. always want the ability to create more. So that means that it's cheaper because they don't have to print dollars, they don't have to do anything, just press a button. Yep. Mm. And it even makes sense, like with them last year. I remember there was the coin shortage that was going on last year. Like there was a national coin shortage. Like I ain't never heard of no national coin shortage until they, the damn pandemic. They man. printed too much money, bro. They was they had <laughs> there was no coins to go with because they couldn't print the coins fast enough. That's what happened. Because coins take a while to print. All that money they put out there was electric. So now people mm-hmm. want to change for that electric money, and they don't have it. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just a digital ledger. That's why, I like, whenever they start talking about the digital dollar and stuff, it made sense. Like, the statistic was, I think, 20% of the money in existence was printed, like, in the third quarter of last year, like, yeah, since the inception of America. So it's like, that's, that's a huge jump. And, I mean, what they talking about printing next? Like, what's the next stimulus? Like, one point. Yeah, that's it's big, man. That's scary, man, because we got to pay for that one day with inflation or something. Mm. Let's talk about that because that's something that is very real. And uh, the Fed, my boy Powell, he Jerome he, not stopping. Yeah, Jerome ain't quitting. He already said it, man. Look, until all of these people that's hurting, we ain't gonna stop printing this dollar. But a lot of people, like you said, inflation is gonna be some type of repercussion for us printing so much money. We are like the reserve currency, but still, it comes to a point where the rubber meets the road where. 
okay, now you got too much of this money and it becomes useless. Yeah, and it's like it's gonna be a single point where that happens, man. Is everybody at once will realize this too? All this money, man. Like you, I kind of already see. If you notice, a lot of people do have a lot of money right now <laughs> with stocks and whatever. You notice that, like everybody's winning in everything. It's like mm. now, is that a sign that the people have too much money? I don't know, but it does seem like there's a lot of money out in the economy. It just seems that way. <clears throat> you know, everybody has money now, and like it's few people that's struggling, but it seems like that to me, man. But like I said, it could be just my perception of it. I be the TL, man. You know, you see a lot of people winning on the TL in the stock market for sure yeah. since the beginning of the pandemic because the proliferation of like, uh, I guess, investing, like even conversations like we have right now, the platforms out there that are like encouraging people to invest. So many people got into the markets at the bottom and now they seeing them wins and them gains. They may have put like 15, 20 bands in back then and now they up, up like they to the markets up over how much since the end of the pandemic? Like I know it's it was, lowest it got was like 16, 17,000 a Dow. Now it's at like, I think right around 30. Mm-hmm. It doubled, now, basically doubled. Now I think the S&P was about to touch a record high like this past week too. I don't know if it was like 40. You said Jim Cramer said the markets need a buy. Yeah, Jim Cramer said, man, we need a week off, man. When something happens to your kitchen, you might say, This is ludicrous. But that won't fix your home. That will only get you the rapper, Ludicrous. Having trouble? Don't panic. Don't be alarmed. You need to file a claim? Holla at State Farm. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. That's right. You can file a claim on the app or call us. Thanks, Mr. Chris. No matter how ludicrous the situation, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm, Bloomington, Illinois. So what's next for you, Armando? Like you got your higher match and you teach people about the long-term investing and things like that. What else do you have that you're working on, my brother? No, like what I'm doing now, and I've been telling people about it on my Instagram, whatever is I'm getting into real estate. Like I don't, I don't know much about it now, but I am trying to get into real estate now. So, you know, cause I think that with the millennials coming and also the generation, I think the next generation after that, if you look around in every city, they're building apartments everywhere. Mm-hmm. all over the place. That tells you that there's a demand for housing now. And, and it's because of all these people graduating and coming into the cities. So I can kind of see that coming, is that there's going to be a the housing is probably, even if the economy crashes, everything is going to crash if that happens. Housing, I think, won't take as big of a hit. And it'd be a, So I see housing being a long-term, just owning something, a piece of something mm-hmm. somewhere, man. I think that's going to be a long-term goal in the next few years because you can see that there's a demand for it, man. Every city I've been to in the last two years got like five or six housing complex going up in the downtown area. You know, Nashville, Tampa, St. Pete, Atlanta, everywhere you go, man. And that shows Dallas, you that man. You know, Dallas, especially. Yeah. A lot of those apartments too are where they have like it all in one where you got like commercial at the bottom and you got the apartments on top. That's getting popular too. And I could just see that, you know, it coming to a head here in the next five to 10 years and ability to make a lot of money in that, especially in areas like Dallas, like here in Pinellas County and Clearwater, Florida, anywhere in Florida, anywhere in Texas, really, because I read a report too, it said Texas, Florida, and California are going to have a, a lot of movement in real estate because people all over the country are moving to these places because they have now have the ability to work at home. And a lot of companies not going back to that. So you always get, everybody can work at home. They're going to pick a, a warmer place to live. You know, so I think that's going to help the real estate in Texas, California, and Florida, and Puerto Rican real estate. I'm also investing some into that because of certain things over there, tax advantages and the markets depressed over there. 
So that's what I'm doing over the next three or four years, focusing on that and trying to get higher match completed over the next year. So with your real estate, is that what type of criteria you're looking for? Are you going to be looking for like the apartment type? Are you trying to get into residential? I, I mean, at first, this, I'm very early in that. I'm just trying to get into residential stuff now mm-hmm. and just get my head around it, right? So mm-hmm. I'm closing on a property here in, uh, in Clearwater this month, and I'm hopefully closing on another one in Puerto Rico. So right now, I'm just trying to get my head around it, right? If I lose money, whatever, as long as I understand what I'm doing, I don't want to step out too big. But my intention is eventually start either getting into development, because I have a friend that has a friend who actually does that, my business partner, actually. And I want to get into more commercial real estate eventually. But, you know, you got to learn it first. You got to mm-hmm. take baby steps. And That's I, an important lesson in that, man. You, I, anybody. Yeah, yeah and I like how you highlighted it, too. You said, you know, I'm not afraid to lose money as long as I learn from this process. Exactly. And I think that's something that you highlighted earlier also whenever you first got into your stock journey. You was like, you know, I, I got up. It took four or but, five years. But over that year, I lost it. Like, I made the 20 bands, but I lost it. But what I learned from losing it, I was able to continue building upon it. So I like that you, you have that mindset of, you know, I'm going to put my money where my mouth is and I'm going to learn from trial and error. Yeah, like I say, even if you lose money on that deal, the education you got for it was worth the money. And a lot of people don't get that concept, right? They don't want to, it's hard to start anything and not lose money. I mean, you're going to make a mistake. You're going to lose money in business, investing or whatever. But you almost had to go into that with that mindset. Well, if, you know, if I lose money, I learn something, right? But if I, and every time I've lost money with any kind of endeavor in the past, I end up making a lot more in the future. Right. So initially you, you almost going to lose money, man. You start a business, you're going to do some stuff wrong. You start investing, you may do some stuff wrong. You have to understand that a lot of people, I think, have a hard time wrapping their heads around that concept. Mm-hmm. They don't want to pay that rookie tax that learn. Yeah, and that could be expensive, man. Like it could be a thousands, mm. but you know, it's worth it. School of hard knocks. They need that. <laughs> they need that tuition. Exactly. So I kind of want to talk about Puerto Rico too. You know, you said it's a depressed market and stuff. That kind of sounds like, you know, what's going on down there? Like, tell me the reason. No, for- I mean, this year and last year, there's been earthquakes in the south part of the island. A year and a half, two years ago, there was a hurricane that wiped mm-hmm. the Then Before that, it was another hurricane. Then you got the economy on top of all of that. So now the real estate price in Puerto Rico about 50% lower than what they were 10 years ago because of people, the mass amount of people leaving the island because of all these troubles. And then they also have a what's called the Act 22 down there where you can be exempt from taxes completely just living down there. Oh, really? You're exempt from U.S. taxes completely. Yo, act, it's called the Act 22 because Puerto Rico falls into a loophole of taxation from the United States because Puerto Rico is basically a colony, kind of commonwealth, whatever. Mm-hmm. But Terror. the Constitution Terror. says it's a territory, but the Constitution says you can't tax without representation. Puerto Rico doesn't have senators. They don't mm-hmm. have representatives. So they, the U.S. can't tax them. So they passed a law called the Act 22 where you go down there, you fill out some paperwork, costs you about $10,000 to do all the work. You only pay 4% tax on corporations from then on out or any capital gains, hmm. right? So that's it. You're exempt from U.S. taxes. You just pay them 4% completely. <laughs> Damn. That's a whole gym. <laughs> but, yeah, but you have to go there. It takes some work and you have to move down. You have to be there at least six months out of the year. You have to live down there. And it's the only place on earth you can do that. I wouldn't mind living there like six months where hurricanes not coming through. Yeah, six months a year, man. And like some people say, you can save enough to probably... In a couple of years, probably buy a house down there, a condo or whatever. But I'm looking into that now. But in the real estate there, like I said, it's very, very cheap now. So I'm buying some down there. And now that's what I'm looking into Puerto Rico for. 
what's some of the prices are down there? Like, what could you get? Like, it depends. I mean, if you're in the city, it's they're going to be cheap, but not that cheap. But if you go outside of the cities, I mean, there's some places where you can get fifty, sixty thousand dollars. You could be like maybe four blocks from the beach in the south part of Island or the east part. Um, so yeah, the west part. Sorry. So that's way better than Florida or somewhere like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I want to kind of know, like, the play with that. Could you do it as a vacation rental where people might Airbnb yeah. it out and yeah, stuff like that. that? That's my plan is to uh, Airbnb it out. Okay, because well, I know there. some places, like, they got restrictions on it and stuff like yeah. that. That's not that bad down there. It's probably the same as anywhere else you would go. Yeah, I mean, a lot of cities got restrictions. People just don't listen to them. Because <laughs> a lot of cities say 30-day rentals is the minimal, and people still rent their places for, you know, Airbnb. That's a lot true. of cities have that law. Uh, probably Dallas has it. Man. I know uh, New Orleans. Yeah, New Orleans. They ain't there's, there's like the hotel industry was dying after Airbnb yeah. hit, and it's like, oh no, that's crazy. So let's pivot on to the last what's section, my time? brother. Let's get into what's on your timeline. Anything that you might have saw that was funny. It could be something serious. Pretty much anything that you felt like. You saw it on the Instagram. Well, not even just Instagram. You Internet, saw it anywhere. Yeah, and you want to speak on it. Ah, uh, let me think. Uh, I don't know, man. Off the top of my head, let me figure out something. So, uh, I see a lot of people talking about LLCs a lot on the timeline and how a lot LLCs, of that. which is positive in a way. But what it does, I think, is it gives people a false impression of what an LLC really is. Talk about you know, it. so, like one of the funniest things I see is like people will say, and it's mostly clout chasing. You know, people just trying to get clout. A lot of people do present it the right way and tell you to get LLC. LLC is a lot of, you know, it's good to have one. It protects you against liability, protects you against taxes. A lot of good reasons for LLC. But the thing I see on my timeline a lot is people just say, hey, take your tax return and buy LLC. Thank me later. Like, what is that going to do for you? <laughs> buy LLC, create generational wealth. Yeah, like that, just like directly that. to it. Like, you, it's a lot of steps between those two, right? <laughs> it's a lot of steps between those two, man. The LLC just paperwork. Or the one I see is like, Get an LLC and then get an SBA loan. Like they're not gonna give you a loan, man, because you filled out paperwork. And it's not. I mean, everybody. I would do that. I would just fill out a hundred page, you know, a hundred LLCs and get loans on each one of them. If we could do that, and then then just close the LLCs down. They couldn't do nothing. Uh, Bankruptcy. Yeah, on all the companies, right? (laughs) What I would do is I create one company that's a marketing company, and ten other companies get loans on it, pay the marketing company for marketing fees, and do legitimate work to close the other ones down. I mean, obviously. You can't do that. You know? mm-hmm. That's what I'm saying is that everybody would be doing that. So they're not going to give you a loan unless you show some kind of collateral or show some mm-hmm. potential or money coming in. They're not going to do that. But it's a lot of people that post that stuff and get people confused. And they're like, what? You know, they think that they could just do an LLC and get all these benefits. There is a big benefit to having an LLC, but I think it's oversold sometimes. Definitely. I 100% agree with you. I'm on doing Hell yeah, that. man. That's something we see too much on the internet. Just like that whole conversation is, it's important once again, like you're saying, but we need to understand that if you're going to have an LLC, actually have a business. Don't just exactly. think that this paper is going to solve all your problems. They skip that part. They're like, hey, get an LLC, pay your kids. Well, what money? <laughs> I mean, you got, <laughs> hey, it's no, it's no benefit unless you got money coming in. <laughs> like, what you going to pay your kids with? I mean, they skip that part, you know? I guess that's the hard part they don't want to talk about. Yeah, that's a little bit less marketable. <laughs> <laughs> Internet culture, man. Everybody want it fast and Everybody's easy. Everybody's scared of that real work, man. Fast that's what it easy, is, bro. man. Fast yeah, and easy. Make it, it sound fast and easy so they'll be like, oh, look, yeah. I share this with my friend. You know, hey, we go get our LLC. We go get 50 bands of business credit today. 
Nothing. Yeah, that's what they right. think. They walk into that. I bet they walk to the bank with confidence, and they realize quickly. Like, well, the bank's like, "What? <laughs> they got no statements in that." I mean, <laughs> who told you that? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the what thing about mean? it is that it makes sense. If you just think about it, it makes sense. Like, like I always tell people, I said, "Would you do it if you was the bank?" And I wouldn't fill out this paperwork again. Would you give me a loan? Most people would say, "No, no, nah, I wouldn't." Okay, what you think the bank's gonna do? <laughs> I mean, just because you signed a paper that said this is your new company and you, that doesn't even make sense, man. But they got people out here believing that that's how it works. Yeah, hey. man. Got to stay safe in these internet streets, bro. Yes. Yeah. Folks will have you out your lost, confused, and misguided. Yeah, but, be in jail, man, with some of that tax stuff they talk about. Hell yeah. Facts. That's a big fact. Yeah, Armando, man. We appreciate you coming right. on the podcast today, chopping it up with us, man. It's been a great episode, great convo. But all our followers, all our listeners, man, could you please plug yourself in? Let them know where they can follow you, how they can get in tune with your services, where they can learn more about Higher Match, all that, my brother. Yeah, Higher Match is at HireMatch.io. That's the website, H-I-R-E-M-A-T-C-H.io. You can follow me on Instagram or also YouTube, Tall Guy Tycoon, T-A-L-L-G-U-Y-T-Y-C-O-O-N, Tall Guy Tycoon. Or you can just look up my name, Armando Pantoa. That's a bit. Y'all definitely, definitely tap in. Like my brother David said, man, appreciate you for coming on the show. Appreciate you guys, man. No problem, man. We definitely enjoyed this conversation. For everyone, if you are new here, we definitely hope that you appreciated this episode. Let us know what you thought about it, what you liked about it, what you didn't like about it. It just helps us give you the best value that we can. Um, Appreciate you to everyone who comes in week in and week out and really just continues to be a part of our family. We just ask that you keep on bringing in some new family members so we can keep on growing. Y'all know our goal for this year. We're trying to get to 20,000 weekly listeners on the new episodes this year. So y'all help us reach that goal. Smash that share button. Tell everybody about it because we're really just trying to give some good value and do some work around here. I appreciate you guys. No problem, my brother. Anybody else got something? Uh, Man, Brother Spiller, you got any uh, reviews, anything you want to share from the people? Yeah, let me share this one good review, man. We got one from Best Damn Taylor. Man, you've outdone yourself. This is the most insightful podcast that I've listened to. It's a great way to reposition our minds towards deeper entrepreneurial moves. This is the first episode I've listened to from you all, not the last. Shout out to you. Yes, indeed. We let it hear. We let it see it. Yes, 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 yes. Y'all tap in with us, leading rates, leading reviews. Like my brother Jalen said, share with your family. And on that note, Black Wolf Renaissance, signing out. Peace. I got money on my mind. I'm just trying to get some dough. I ain't picking up my lot unless it's money on the phone. Gotta get it on the daily. All I want is dubs. You know what I'm on. I've been chasing after paper. All I know is run money marathon. Everybody loves McDonald's fries. So, yes, you accused your mom of stealing some of your fries on the way home. Um, but the bag did feel a little light. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.